0: Welcome to The Rant. I'm your host, Herman James, and on today's episode, NorCal volunteer Josh Crow and I will be talking about immigration. This part of the podcast is brought to you by Lipson. Are you looking to start a podcast or want to know where to move your podcast to to get the best possible outcome? Lipson is the top-rated host for your podcast. Use promo code HERMAN for your first month free. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for everything you guys have done for The Rant. You guys have been blowing it up and making The Rant a huge success for me and for the podcast in general. Uh, I don't think very many podcasts make it to as far as this one's come, Uh, and because of that, uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different than most. Uh, I have struggled with the news and the media coming out against immigration and everything that kind of goes along with it, so I actually reached out to the community and was able to find a volunteer for the NorCalResist.org uh, group that actually helps immigrants have their own lawyers present, know their rights, everything else. Josh... Uh, Crow was a wonderful individual. He's fantastic to have on the show. So uh, take a listen and I uh, hope you enjoy. And today we're here with Josh Crow. He is a volunteer for the NorCal Resist Group. That's on uh, norcalresist.org. How are you doing, Josh?
1: Pretty good yourself.
0: Not too bad, surviving the uh, Sacramento heat. It's going to be a bad one this weekend, but I'll survive.
1: <laughs> Lucky I just uh moved away from Sacramento and by uh, the Bay Area. So I was looking at the weather and uh you guys enjoy that hundred and four. I will be sitting pretty at seventy one degrees.
0: A hundred and four be nice. They just said it's supposed to be hundred and seven now. <laughs>
1: Oh, okay well enjoy
0: that <laughs> yeah it'll be nice so i was uh i reached out to some friends and some other community members to find people that had firsthand experience with the immigration what the administration is calling a crisis um and all arrows pointed to NorCal Resist, and you, um, from my understanding, you have actually been to Tijuana recently, have more than hands-on experience with it, and I would like to just pick your brain and hear some stories and just kind of get a background of what we actually don't know from what's being put out there.
1: Absolutely, so NorCal Resist is a community Sacramento community-led uh, that. For the most part, formed after the 2016 elections, Um, and it really just caused people who continued uh, to want to get involved in the community. Um, And as far as the migrant support trips that Carolina has uh, done, there have been three so far. There is a fourth one in the works. I have been on two of the three uh, that have gone down there. And it's, it's a very interesting uh, experience to see exactly what's happening.
0: I I can only imagine. I mean, the majority of what I see really comes from what I'm seeing on TV and reading in publications. And then pretty much just disregard the majority of it and then try to find an actual source that isn't put up by the same person and so i'm looking a lot at uh vice is a good one i look at as well as the new york times and they have a lot of exposés and they do uh the daily uh their podcast they have out there i'm listening to quite a bit of that and hearing there's a lot more to the story than what we're actually seeing and there's a lot more than what the administration is putting out there from what we see and what's put out there on CBS or NBC or God, if you're watching Fox, uh, <laughs> that all we're getting from Mexico and South America are drug dealers, rapists, and gangsters across uh, the board, and that the people that are coming across the border are just lying. They're saying that they're in fear for their lives, and people are going to kill them, and they're taking other people's children, coming over just to take away from the American life.
1: Correct. And that's a lot of the misinformation that, uh, for the most part, that is being put forth by potentially less reputable news sources. Um, a lot of the people that are coming over are escaping gang violence, uh, economic despair in their countries of origin, um, and there are refugees, people seeking asylum, and not just asylum, but better lives in the United States from not only Mexico, but Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. Um, and then also, other countries, there's a lot of people in Tijuana right now who come from Cameroon because there's a whole bunch of civil unrest in Cameroon, which people don't hear about because it is simply not reported. It exists, but it's not a hot button issue, so it kind of gets put on the back burner. But it's not just Mexican nationals attempting to, I'll. Uh, political asylum or immigration status in the United States. In a group of people, certainly there will be uh, people that have committed crimes in the past, a very small minority of those people, Um, and additionally there are very thorough background checks that uh, Customs and Border Patrol does on each uh, person before they are even given a second look, uh, for the immigration status. So the the idea that just all they're sending is murders, rapists, and kidnappers is simply unfounded and untrue.
0: I, I agree. And I think what you had said there too is that people don't also understand is it's not just people from South America. It's not just the caravans people are hearing about on the news. It is people from all over the place that are coming in through Mexico and it's people that actually need the asylum that actually need help. But I think another thing that is pushed by the administration right now and what they're saying they've worked out with Mexico is that whole stay in Mexico or the Mexican migration program where they're forcing people to stay in Mexico because there is no, Sanctuary state or country, whatever one call for it, in between Mexico and anywhere else they're coming from, is that a bigger thing that you're seeing now in Tijuana? Uh, from what I hear, it is horrible from what they're doing down there as well. It's just impoverished.
1: Yes, so there are there are a lot of people who are over onto the other side of uh, the border. So, to the best of my knowledge. Um, when you come across into the United States to seek asylum, you need to immediately present yourself, uh, advise that you're seeking asylum uh, to the Customs Border Patrol official or any law enforcement official that you interact with. And, and unfortunately, what's happening is a lot of these people getting kicked back down to Mexico. Uh, it was something that was fairly well reported um, in the earlier part of the year, so like, January, February, March. So, a lot of the uh, people getting kicked back to the other side
2: of the border after applying or presenting themselves for asylum in the United States are forced to return to the Mexican side of the border, primarily Tijuana, um, as that port of entry is one of the busiest on the southern, the entire southern border. So, there's a lot of people to process. Now, again, as to the legality of it, I'm not an attorney. I'm not familiar with uh, the intricacies of the international agreements that we are supposed to abide by. However, I believe it is fair to acknowledge that the current administration is kind of creating a problem of its own uh, so it can have something to focus on uh, and kind of create uh, a scapegoat, if you will, for problems and bad policies, failed policies.
0: The continual ones. I mean, it's, it's consistent with them. And of course, that's my opinion. I'm not trying to speak for anyone on that. But it's really hard to take to heart that they are doing something great for our country and great for the people when you hear nothing but heartache from everybody on the other side of it. And I understand that there needs to be some sort of immigration reform where we have a better idea of what we're doing. I, I don't agree that kicking everyone back out across the board at their side that need to be uh, saved or need help is the right way of doing it, and I've never really agreed with that idea of it. So it, it's really hard to hear that, and then here you have – a horde of families staying in a basement in Tijuana, each of them paying like $100 a month to sleep on a cot with their two kids. It, it's just heartbreaking.
2: Yes, and you're, you're not necessarily too far off the mark with that. Uh, I haven't necessarily seen a whole bunch of people, uh, at least the places that I was at, uh, renting a cot. Uh, unfortunately, it's much more heartbreaking than that. A lot of the shelters that I've seen that I've gone to uh, doing some of the construction aspects, which I specialize in when I go down there, but also viewing and uh, seeing some of the conditions that our medical teams have uh, encountered is, you know, when you go camping, you have that little two person tent. It's real easy to set up. Uh, that's probably one of the most easily donated shelter items, if you will. Um, and that two person tent Down in Tijuana, oftentimes, is housing an entire family. And it's bad enough that you can have an entire family in a two-person tent. But you see rows and rows and rows of these two-person tents that have been donated generously. But it's entire families. And probably a shelter can have anywhere from 50 to two to three hundred people um and oftentimes what's happening is they will have a concrete pad an industrial concrete pad um they'll set up the rows of tents and you have as many blankets as you can scrounge up and that is the padding between the concrete and that little tent that these families are crammed into um, and getting to somewhat of the process that a lot of these asylum seekers are having to go through the process for people to start claiming uh, an asylum case from the Mexico side of the border entails them lining up uh, at a little plaza called El Chaparral on the Mexican side, Tijuana side of the border uh, around seven o'clock in the morning. Oftentimes people will sleep there overnight to be sure that they, have a place in line uh that they can get in there and what the process consists of is lining up and presenting yourself to there's two gals and there's a usually a man standing behind those two women behind this table and they will give uh they will ask for your name and they will give you a tiny little strip of paper uh and When I say tiny, I mean about maybe one inch by half an inch large piece of paper that has a number on it. And that number is what you use. They will call numbers. Um, Could be weeks. And oftentimes, as of late, it has been months from now to be pulled into uh, the credible fear interview by Customs and Border Patrol. But... The thing is, I mentioned that there is two gals who you will give your information to, and a gentleman standing behind. The two women who are taking your information down, not only are they asylum seekers themselves, but the book in which they are giving your inform or taking your information down on is one of those little black and white uh, composition books that everybody kind of had in middle school and high school this is not a formal proper way of creating a asylum case uh this is something that is simply handed to the gentleman that stands behind those two gals who is a member of a mexican federal Uh, um, humanitarian group called Grupos Betas, and they are supposedly kind of a humanitarian arm of uh, the Mexican government, Uh, but oftentimes they are just doing whatever customs and border patrol uh, tell them to do. So what happens is after you've presented yourself to those two gals, they write your uh, name and contact information in that little composition book. You are given that tiny piece of paper with a number, and you have to kind of keep track of the numbers that they call each day. Uh, and this goes on seven days a week. People present themselves, they get their numbers, and then after that, they will call numbers, and those numbers are for people who literally their day has come and they are going to be interviewed by uh, Customs and Border Patrol uh, for their credible fear interview. And those people have to just kind of keep track of the numbers. Uh, if you miss your date, that is it. You need to start all over again. When we were down there in February, there was about a uh, four to six week wait. God. When we were down in June, the middle part of June, that four to six week wait had jumped to about two and a half to three months Golly. because there are so many people. Um, and like I said, the once the number has been called, uh, you are the individuals are taken to Customs and Border Patrol custody, and they are taken down into what are called uh, ice boxes or yeleras. And it's kept at 45 degrees, very, very cold, Uh, and it's an effort to kind of keep uh, the smell because, again, as been reported in the news, the sanitation uh, and hygiene has not been provided or the ability to keep good hygiene has not been provided by the United States government. And one of the things that they do, which could be argued it's a uh, form of torture, is Yes, they're keeping those ice boxes very, very cold, those detention uh, areas where people will be held for days, if not weeks, is as they are being taken from El Chaparral on the Tijuana side into U.S. custody, they have to take all of their clothes except for the base layer. And if they're going into a very cold environment, you can't have people just going in an undershirt uh, or for women in their bras. So one of the things that is happening at El Chaparral on the Tijuana side, uh, especially in uh, the winter months, is we are advising people, okay, great, your number has been called. This is what you can expect. Do you have all your documentation ready? And oh, by the way, you know that jacket that you're wearing as your outer layer? You need to quickly change and put your warmest layer against your skin because you are about to be in a 45-degree temperature uh, cell for – could be days, could be weeks while your interview is uh, going on. And it's the matter of, again, as has been reported, is these people are not getting blankets. They're getting those little mylar Uh, emergency blankets that's not going to keep people warm and they're intentionally kept in a very cool environment so it like i said the case could be argued that it is a form of torture that these people are being put through by legally seeking asylum the reports that we've gotten of poor conditions Uh, to kind of put it nicely, uh, seem to come out, we hear it just before it kind of breaks in the news, uh, before it gets reported in the New York Times uh, or Newsweek or something like that. And so it seems to be consistent information that we're hearing from the asylum seekers and then what is eventually kind of comes to light, if you will.
0: It's pretty similar to the – was it the Texas location they talked about? The women were essentially drinking toilet water.
2: Yes. Uh, Again, it just goes to the fact that the United States, even though I believe uh, most contractors are paying, I believe that I heard, $750 a day per uh, person in detention. Yes, they're drinking – They. I believe the report was that, uh, Border Patrol guards told them to drink water out of the toilet. Um, yes, it's cons- again, it's consistent information that we're hearing, getting reports from, which a matter of days or weeks comes out in the news. Yeah. Um, so yeah, conditions are not good in there. And then they are, they are presented to a uh, Border Patrol official or, and they, Have the what is called a credible fear or credible threat interview. And it's really just up to that person, the United States official, to decide, like, okay, are do you actually fear for your life? Why did you flee? Why did you run from your country of origin? And unless they have documentation, unless they have hard facts. Oftentimes, they are simply just dismissed, and it's it's one thing to think, okay, yes, you should probably have proper documentation, but you've got to remember that these people are often threatened by gangs, threatened with violence, and told you need to get out within 24 hours, otherwise you will be murdered. Your husband has been murdered, (sighs) your father has been murdered, your cousin has been murdered, we will murder you next if you're not out of country of origin in x amount of time so often they don't have time to document everything to get their birth certificate to get news clippings of their relatives being murdered if it's even reported at all and then on top of that they are walking thousands of miles through jungle heat and humidity through desert conditions they are staying in shelters for extended amount of time so it's very difficult to retain and be able to present the evidence of a credible fear, which again, just goes towards what I believe is bad policy and is able to easily dismiss asylum seekers and ship them off to their country of origin, where oftentimes they go right back into uh, the areas that they were escaping and back into harm's way.
0: Yeah. And now you have the defense on The United States side is that we don't have enough judges and clerks to take in all of the cases at a timely fashion. So what you see that was actually presented on uh, the news for it was essentially, you know, five to 10 individuals, children, adults lined up in a row in a courtroom and not speaking English. They didn't have any actual information that was given to them in Spanish to be able to read it or understand it. They're just asked if they understand what's going on and they, they kind of nod and everyone's dismissed and walked out of the courtroom.
2: Yes, correct. So the the idea and the argument made by the current administration uh, that they don't have enough judges, uh, that they don't have enough courts, is simply a matter of underfunding the process uh it, the process is exasperated if they don't have enough judges uh they can easily hire more judges they could easily provide the documents in both english and spanish which they already have uh they have had for years and decades but again it makes the process more difficult it makes getting these people seeking asylum out of cbp custody uh sooner than should be legally allowed mm-hmm. and it just expedites the extra ju- uh, extra, ju- uh, extra judicial uh removal of people from the United States who should legally be able to claim asylum
0: so and that kind of goes in with the same idea of those that are already in the country that may be here legally already or have been here for a long time. They're still waiting on their court case to come in for a They've taken out a lot of programs that were set up for individuals. So the Know Your Rights has been removed as a requirement for a lot of these individuals. I know that the NorCal Resist, they're actually hosting some of these events to still give the information to individuals as well as going to some of the detention centers that are still here in uh, the States. I believe uh, they did a candlelight uh, vigil out, I believe, what, two weeks ago up in was it the Folsom area for the last open um, one in California.
2: It was uh, actually up in Marysville, uh, Marysville, if I believe correctly and it was yes a candlelight vigil uh outside of a uh, ice detention center to attempt to bring awareness to people being held for extended periods of time uh norcal resist has done a very good job of hosting know your rights seminars and basically it's just kind of going over what to look for in the community of ice officials in unmarked vehicles uh whether you're getting knocks at on your front door at odd hours of the evening. Uh, should you open the door? Should you ask for paperwork to be slid underneath the, the the threshold of the door? What to look for on that paperwork to help identify valid search warrants uh, and court record or court requests, and maybe incomplete documents which are not necessarily legally binding or proper to execute search warrants and uh, enter premises, uh, private residences. So there's a lot of community action efforts to educate the public, uh, and not just by NorCal Resist, but uh, by a lot of other other organizations which are helping as well. So it's Know Your Rights Clinics. It's educating the populace and also coming together. So when we observe something within neighborhoods, we have a network to Distribute such information and there's been a lot of videos lately that show people coming and surrounding people's homes surrounding people's cars uh, And helping thwart some of the ice agents and their efforts to detain people Um, I believe there's a recent report where there's only like 60 or 65 uh, people detained out of a list of 200 And the reason for such quote-unquote low numbers as attributed by uh, ICE, was community awareness and community uh, defense uh, efforts to help protect these people. And like you said, oftentimes they've been going through the legal process. They may have uh, submitted proper documentation. They've been in the United States for years or decades without any issues, they've they've held jobs, they have not gotten in trouble, legal issues. They are not criminals. And they are being pursued and they are being persecuted in what could be argued as very unfair manners and they are not provided proper documentation or legal representation within the judicial system.
0: And that's what a huge thing is, too, with a lot of people not having the right legal representation. I I have been to court just for speeding tickets, and that just by itself is just kind of puts you in a spot where you just feel inferior to everything. So being someone that is facing potential deportation and not having proper Representation and not understanding the whole system, that would freak me out to the nth degree. I can only imagine what it would be like for anyone else, especially someone that's trying to provide for their family, and potentially having that one individual being deported out while everyone else is waiting for their time. That 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 can't be comforting. That can't be easy, and it's got to be scary. as probably one of the scariest things to deal with, especially if you're potentially going back to a place where your life is threatened. And there have been numerous cases where people have been sent back, and now we can't find them. One, there's not a network of internet places to find everyone. But two, they're also being murdered when they're gone back. I think NPR has had a, quite an extensive uh, reports on people that have been deported back that have been taken out by the actual gangs or the local governments that were run by them.
2: Yes, correct. And that's one of the things which I'm very inspired by is the community involvement and the willingness of a lot of people to come to immigrants and asylum seekers defense. And one of the reasons I think that that's happening uh, is because a lot of people see that the current administration is dealing in fear.
0: Do you want to start getting paid for listening to podcasts, especially The Rant? I know you do. It's free money and why not do it? Download the PodCoin app. It's free for Androids or iPhones. Use the code TheRant to get 300 points right off the bat for downloading the app. You can turn the points into free gift cards for Starbucks, Target, and a whole bunch of other things. Things are added every day for doing what you're already doing. Listening to podcast Download the Podcoin app or check out thehermanjames.com for links and don't forget to use the promo code, the rant, for your free 300 points.
2: They are targeting particular members uh, who might still be going through the legal immigration process, but there's one small hiccup, there's one small paperwork issue, and that allows those individuals to be targeted. And it's the unfair targeting, unfair harassment, and unfair, again, uh, legal procedures that are being used to remove people that should otherwise be perfectly fine staying in our communities. They are taxpayers. They are valued members of various communities and people are coming together for these people's
0: defense. Absolutely. And uh, I think what you hear the Trump administration use as a defense for their actions is that they have deported fewer illegal immigrants than both the Bush and the Obama administration. And if you look at the Homeland Security's uh, website, they actually do have a graph on there and it does depict the deportations. But when you start talking to officials that look at it, it is the fact that both prior administrations were targeting habitual felons or criminals and those who had been here and shouldn't have been in the initial time and have pushed them out, but it didn't specifically target Mexican individuals. Anyone it was ones that had been deported numerous times and they were pushing them back out. They weren't deporting everyone as soon as they walked in the door. So it it is a, if you go by the numbers, it's highly misleading.
2: Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things again, by sending people back over to the uh, Mexican side of the border after they've uh, applied for asylum, Keeping people out of the United States, Uh, I believe there is a process where if uh, an illegal – somebody illegally in the United States has been in the country for less than either one or two years, uh, they can be taken out removed from the country without legal and due process. Uh, So the numbers can certainly be uh, tweaked a little bit to – the administration's favor, saying that, oh, there's we're uh, not deporting as many people. Well, yes, because you're immediately sending them over, oftentimes uh, without recording those numbers. So again, not following U.S. law, not following international law regarding immigration and asylum seekers, they're able to twist the facts and the uh, statistics to whatever they want. But the reality is that this administration is not conforming to rules and regulations and agreed-upon laws, which have been in place for years and decades, and they are targeting people at the southern border specifically, and oftentimes we have people coming from Europe and Asia and several other places flying into the United States or coming from Canada that are able to have a much easier time because, in my opinion, they have a lighter skin tone. Um, For some reason, people are being targeted at the southern border, and it seems highly racially motivated.
0: Yeah. I mean, you look at the president's wife. She got given uh, citizenship. And as he was in office, so did his in-laws. They actually looked like they pushed through that paperwork quickly. And if the reports were correct, so did the workers in his mar lago golf course. So – Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
2: and there was the recent tweet – I'm not going to be able to remember off the top of my head verbatim uh, – but something about several uh, female uh, representatives going back to their country of origin. I'm sorry. There's no way to spin that reasonably – Saying that that's not racist. Uh, so it's, it seems fairly obvious and reasonable that there are severe racial undertones to this current administration.
0: Yeah, 100%, especially since he's talking about uh, the squad and three of them, are, I believe they're born in the United States. And yes. one was not, and told them all to go back, and now they've got rally chants of. Uh, send them back, I think it was. And that's yeah. their new uh, rally chant. And I fully believe that anytime Trump is out speaking to people, it should be called a rally. Because it really does sound like he is a member of the Klan. And again, I know how offensive that is, and I understand that. But that's exactly what it is, especially when he's defending racism Across the country.
2: But please remember, those people making those chants at those Trump rallies, when you call them deplorable,
0: it really hurts their feelings. (laughs) That's what's going to hurt their feelings. It's adding fuel to their fire. Yes. It's.
2: Exactly. Um, so, yes, there's, there's racist undertones. And again, I believe that this is something that communities across the United States are really coming together uh, in support of uh, targeted uh, classes of people. And it's something where I hope that we've kind of learned from uh, history within the 20th century. And I, I believe that a lot of the frustration uh, and anger – that we're seeing from the current administration is because of community self-defense, community awareness, and the willingness to stand with your neighbors.
0: I, I really hope it is too. And I, I really like how the country came together when whether it was inadvertent or it was on purpose for smoke and mirrors when the administration uh, let out that ice was going to do an entire raid across the country on the weekend. And all of a sudden, Everyone kind of stepped up and helped out individuals. Granted, the reports from uh, the Daily were, you know, they were immigrants that were hidden in their homes, locking the doors and windows, closing the blinds, and not coming out until Monday. But as a country, tons of people stepped in to help people out and to do what it took to defend people, which thwarted the entire idea of the ICE raids over that weekend. So that was fantastic.
2: Yes, absolutely. And that's, again, people, as you mentioned, hiding in their homes until Monday, that's because they knew they were informed through the rapid response networks that they didn't have to open the door. If the uh, officials on the other side of the door knocking on the door didn't have proper documentation, you didn't have to open the door. Um, And again, that's something that I mentioned previously, where they didn't necessarily hit their numbers recently, and they blamed community awareness and community activism. And so it really goes to show that yes, it can be beneficial and positive. And a lot of the information being disseminated by the rapid response network and people involved with the rapid response network is effective. We are helping these people, these targeted classes, and it's making a uh, it's it's making an impression on people. And communities are coming together.
0: I agree, and I. I can't get on board with the idea that there has been and there is a crisis at the border in terms of illegal immigration. Now, we are a country of immigrants. that That's exactly what we are. And I know that we have had leaky borders the entire inception. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here now. But... I also full-heartedly believe that the crisis at the southern border is self-inflicted by the administration. They have caused the crisis. And they have detained children, separated children from their parents, who also have not been reunited with their parents. And now they're causing people to... Like, hoard at the borders and in shelters and in tents and deplorable conditions. And they're being emaciated. Just everything about it is horrible because the only option is to wait it out for a few months and hope for the better or go back home and hope you don't die. Those aren't great options. Yes, Yes, and that's
2: uh, goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the process in the Tijuana side of having to wait for months. Uh, it's a matter of making these people wait uh, as long as possible, making them live in substandard conditions, and if they lose their documentation, if they lose uh, the number that they were given, or for some other reason they don't have a full list of documentation it is easier for them to get returned uh, denied access into the united states legally and they are sent back to their country of origin where they could uh, potentially be in danger so it's very much a manufactured crisis uh there are Certain certainly legal precedents that have been set. Uh, Reno versus Flores is a prime example. That's a, a Supreme Court case from 1993, which really set the precedent that minors could not be held uh, in detention, and therefore they could not be kept in detention facilities with their families and so what was often happening was people were released on their own recognizance given court dates and expected to show up at the court dates and to the best of my knowledge the statistics uh for people returning and actually showing up to those court dates is very very high in the mid to high 90s because they wanted to abide by our laws they wanted to gain a safe and protected status within the United States.
0: Yeah, so they it were was up great.
2: Court dates, uh, and yeah, and we uh, even currently we have the people who are passing their credible fear interviews um, and released into the United States, uh, and always released into the United States into a sponsor's custody. Uh, we are not necessarily just releasing people onto the streets um, to fend for themselves. They Anyone that passes their credible fear interview is released into the custody of a sponsor. Uh, and that sponsor is responsible for getting them from whichever port of entry they are at to, it could be Minnesota. It could be Maine. It could be on the other side of the country. Um, and sometimes that could be plane tickets. It can be airfare tickets. It could be waiting for that sponsor to drive and get them. Um, so we know the United States government knows where these asylum seekers are because they literally have one and sometimes two ankle monitors on them. They have to check in on a regular basis. So it's not like these people are simply just disappearing and working their way into our society. Uh, There is a legal process. There are legal ways to track them. And for the most part, the asylum seekers and Legal immigrants are abiding by these, um, these means set upon them by the United States government, and they're making their court appearances. But it is something that, it is a process that has been made exponentially more difficult by the current administration. And it's, pardon me, but it's a clusterfuck by design.
0: Oh, yeah. And two notes to that, uh, one being, if anyone has ever listened to anyone trying to pass the citizen exam, they know more about our country than people that have been here their entire life. It is astounding how much they know more than majority of us do about our own history. And they are proud of the history that they've learned because they want to be part of this country. Uh The other idea I was thinking about and kind of tossing around with was the simple idea of the fact that asylum seekers are put to hosts. They are bust, they are trained, they are planned out to different locations, but then they also have to come back to the court hearing to uh, meet with the judge and finish the process. And the flip side of that coin to me is that's going to be what is going to be used in this upcoming election to point out uh what it's costing the country to do this, because this is a burden to the country. When again, it is something that they initially caused this mass crisis for it. This isn't like it's new immigration and all of this has been going on for a long time. I mean, we've had the dreamers here who rightfully have the legal precedent to be here and shouldn't be questioning whether or not they're also going to be deported it's something that the country has put forth the people voted on and wanted and were okay with and now because of fear-mongering i feel it has brought out the racial undertones of a majority of people that weren't nearly as vocal as they were four years ago
2: yes and a couple of points i would like to address with that statement is in regards to people who are asylum seekers who are released into a sponsor's custody, uh, as mentioned, they will oftentimes have to travel either mostly by bus, sometimes by train. And if they're exceptionally lucky, they have, uh, airplane tickets is at first, the administration was having them come back to a court at the point port of entry. Um, and, Again, with the entire process being up in the air and constantly changed um, and always kind of creating havoc, it does seem to fluctuate. There have been reports of people having to go back to their port port of entry for a court date. And there have been reports of people being able to have their court appearance moved into the district, which is closest to where their sponsor is. Nice. when I believe you said something about it uh, costing the United States government money to have these people show up in court, to the best of my knowledge, the United States is not transporting these people back to the region where their court date is being held. Uh, they are either kept in detention uh, or if they do go out of the court local court jurisdiction where their hearing is going to be held, it is their responsibility to, again, take, an, uh, take a bus take the train or some sort of transportation to make their court date, which again goes back to the unreasonable and unnecessary burden on these asylum seekers. Uh, and one of the things that I wanted to touch base on, again, with community involvement for the mutual aid of the asylum seekers is there's a really wonderful group called Granny's Respond, which it is mostly uh, older women. And it consists of these people recognizing that asylum seekers are traveling through uh, bus depots, train depots, and oftentimes they have to – they're traveling to areas that they are unfamiliar with. They really don't have a concept of the distance and the time that it's going to take between San Diego and Michigan or San Diego and Virginia. And – These people often have transfers at various stations around the country. And what Granny's Respond is doing is these wonderful people that have a little extra time, they are gathering donations of snack bars, uh, baby wipes, uh, diapers, blankets, toys, snack bars. And they're just showing up to well-known hubs, transfer stations, for Greyhound depots stuff like that and standing there looking for people who they think might be somewhat lost uh, as far as asylum seekers go and they are going up and contacting these people and they are asking okay are are you have you recently been uh, released are you an asylum seeker are you trying to make it somewhere and the amount of people who are asylum seekers and who have been put on a bus and going somewhere that they have no clue where, where it is, is astounding. (sighs) But there are groups that are out there and actively helping them. They are able to communicate in Spanish and they are able to give them a change of diapers for their child. They are able to give them a little Hot Wheels car or a Barbie. uh, So that child has something. Um, And one of the other very interesting things that, these organizations, and oftentimes uh, we run into ourselves when providing support down in Tijuana, is a lot of these people don't always speak Spanish. They are coming from very rural areas in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and they speak native languages. They might be able to you might be able to communicate through broken Spanish something like that. But sometimes you just cannot communicate with them because they don't speak Spanish, even though they are from a central American country, they speak a unique regional dialect. And again, that kind of makes things a little bit more difficult.
0: That is amazing. I didn't even think about that. That never came to the, uh, the mind of mine when the idea of someone having an actual dialect that is very specific to that region, that, that, compounds a lot more than just trying to figure out how to say the right thing. If you don't have anyone to help you translate, that, that would be horrible.
2: Yes, absolutely. But again, we have community involvement, people who are upset with the current policies being uh, implemented, that there's a lot of groundswell, grassroots, whatever you want to call it, individuals, taking it upon themselves, volunteering their time to help people out. Uh, And it's very inspiring to see. One of the other things that uh, has been very inspirational for me is connecting with other groups and organizations which are interested in supporting migrants, asylum seekers, people down at the border in any aspect or way that they can. And one of the more interesting things that uh, I was able to kind of help out with recently is NorCal Resist was in contact with a group of makers uh, up in the Portland area. And oftentimes what happens at the facilities and the shelters down in Tijuana is you might not always have access to electricity. Um, And with lots of people in a shelter it would be very helpful to be able to wash clothes. So this, the idea put forth by this group of makers up in Portland was to take old discarded washing machines and repurpose them to be bicycle pedal powered. Uh, oh. So really, you don't need the electrical uh, aspect of the washing machine. You can put it in an area and all you need is a source of water. Uh, and the agitation comes from pedal power And these people are able to do laundry. They're able to get a little bit cleaner um, in their situation. And what I was able to do is I was able to drive up to Portland, uh, pick these items up, because this group of makers knew that NorCal Resist was sending people down to the border. I was able to pick those items up and uh, eventually transport them down to the border and Having the shelters, uh, the shelter organizers kind of seeing these items, these devices, these contraptions, it really inspired them. Uh, And they were very, very happy because this is something that nobody else has done. Uh, It's something that can be used in areas without electricity. Uh, They're not dependent on plugging something in, blowing the fuses uh, or the breakers. And there, it's able to improve the conditions. Uh, and I'm actually going back up and I'm meeting with those makers uh, in the middle of August to see about kind of making a few more, how we might even be able to do something with bicycle-powered dryers because oftentimes what happens is because you're living with groups of large groups of people you will have items like or things like lice or bed bugs oh yeah in the blankets and the bedding and sometimes you need to be able to uh clean and sanitize those items as well and my expertise and my experience is as i mentioned before kind of in construction and pest control and we're looking at trying to make something where they can add something like diatomaceous earth or a non-toxic to mammals and humans uh dust or product and put it in the dryer agitate and all that dust gets uh all over those items and it helps kill off some of the bed bugs that might be literally feeding on uh these people um and spreading throughout a shelter and if we're again able to help these people however we can we can it's it's part of the process of improving these people's lives as best we
0: can. Absolutely. That's incredible. I didn't even know you guys are doing that. That I'm speechless. That's fantastic. You guys are helping in a way I don't think anyone thought about. I mean, you hear about people being dirty and not being able to clean, but you don't really come to the rationalization of how you're going to fix that. You guys went above and beyond that and are looking to do even better before what could become an epidemic in the area for lice and bedbugs spreads to an entire city or further. That's fantastic. That's well done guys.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, And it's, again, it's a matter of working with other organizations, working with very smart uh, individuals who are thinking and able to do that. And when, I personally, on the two trips that I have gone down to uh, Tijuana, while I have gone down with medical professionals, while I have gone down with legal professionals, my expertise is with construction uh, and pest control. So what my job has been and what I have done is we, on the first trip in February, we Partnered up with the United Methodist Church, and at the time in February, they had a day room for everybody that was out at El Chaparral, uh, where they're lining up every day uh, to get the numbers and check the status of their uh, asylum case, and these little day rooms. It was at the time, it was just an old burnt out uh, bar that had caught fire, and the bar wasn't uh, occupying it anymore. So, the United Methodist Church moved in there uh, for a little bit, and I was able to kind of get in there and do a partition, a wall partition. So, there would be a therapy room uh, so people could kind of decompress, uh, express, and talk about some of their trauma. And these spaces are very much needed uh, to have people charge their phones so they, and so they don't necessarily have to go back to the conditions where they sleep at night. Because, as I mentioned, the shelters are usually cramped and crowded, um, and it's not something that you would want to go back to any sooner than you could. And the United Methodist Church was doing a very good job of working with other organizations to provide a hot lunch, um, again, a place to charge their phones, a safe place for children to kind of play, and just stay during the day. And again, it's different communities and people of different goals coming together and helping people.
0: Absolutely. And at the end
2: of the day, it's very, very beneficial and helpful.
0: Yeah, it's the mentality of it takes a village. You guys are actually creating a village with different organizations to reach goals and reach out to an entire population that needs your help, that needs all of our help and understanding. And you guys have put forth an effort that I don't think anyone else understands, and not even to the amount you guys are doing. You're, You're not just going out and talking to individuals, you're physically hands-on. You're helping out in the best way possible. You guys have got them tents, You've got them clothing. You've got them with the ability to clean themselves. I mean, it is the literal bare minimum of human culture that we, we try to do for ourselves that if you wake up in the morning and you think you stink out of bed, you take a shower. They don't have that ability. They don't have that recourse to it. And you guys are giving people just that idea that they're human and that they can be uh helped and that that's that's fantastic that's the minimum that people need to do in this world is give people the idea that they are equal to you there is no lesser person and you guys are doing a fantastic job
2: thank you very much and i i know one of the things that uh that I really hold dear is the little sign at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. The the poem, the New Colossus, and part of that poem says, "Give me your tired, give me your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free." And these, at the end of the uh, the day, these are just people like you and I who are seeking a better life. The United States of America has always been that beacon that shining beacon on the hill of a better life where if you come here and you work hard you can make it and you can have a better life for yourself and your family and i i believe that it could be uh argued from a place of reason that the policies uh implemented by the current administration are stifling that and these are people who like you said we have the luxury of if we kind of Come home from work at the end of the day or and we smell, or we get to take a shower. And the facilities that we are providing and the facilities that we are forcing these people to remain in, we're not always putting forth the best image of not only the United States as a overall entity, uh, but oftentimes the people, uh, the representation that unfortunately gets projected in the news might be of Charlottesville rally, hate rallies, uh, uh, racist rants, and stuff like that. And to go down and be hands-on not only shows that the United States is a country of good people who are willing to help, but it also allows the individual who is fortunate enough to be able to go down and assist at the border gives you a very different perspective than what is often reported, and It helps build empathy with your fellow human who is uh, in need of help. And it's something that is certainly life-changing and uh, beneficial. And it really does make, at least myself, want to go down there more often on a regular basis and do what I can.
0: So, Josh, what got you started into wanting to do any of this?
2: Uh in all honesty, I am a straight, white, male, middle-aged, uh, none of this really uh, outwardly affects me whatsoever. However, my wife and her family uh, came from Mexico and El Salvador. Uh, my mother-in-law came legally and uh, did all the paperwork uh, in the early 70s, I believe, and was able to uh, gain residency legally in the United States. And my father-in-law, who fled El Salvador in the, again, early 70s, uh, he did not come legally. Uh, He kind of came in with a coyote, um, smuggled in. And that is something that a lot of people could frown on, but it's – people looking for a better life and not only looking for a better life for themselves, but also for their children. Uh, Now my in-laws met and uh, got married and obviously had children uh, who, one of which is my wife. And um, again, they're looking for a better life for their children. And my wife recently was admitted to UC Berkeley uh, and she has aspirations to go to law school. So when nice. I'm going down and I'm helping people uh, at these shelters and I'm, I'm seeing the conditions that they're in and I, I know – I hear the stories from them that they want a better life in the United States, it doesn't – I don't have to travel very far to see what the conditions that they're in, what they're escaping, and what they can amount to. And what their children can amount to, Um, because I see it in my everyday life that children of immigrants will be very—they can be successful, Uh, which includes being first-generation U.S. citizens born here in the United States of parents who made the effort to immigrate to this country and set up a better uh, life for themselves and eventually have children who will be positive uh, role models and positive members of society and doing their part to better our nation.
0: Well, absolutely. And if anyone wants to see the work that the NorCal Resist has been doing, they do have an extensive amount of uh, pictures on both the NorCalResist.org as well as Instagram. That's NorCal underscore Resist. And they have a Twitter as well, and that's going to be the Nor Resist. All of those links will be in this podcast description. So feel free to click on that as well. And make sure you follow the social media for The Rant with Herman James. We'll have him in there. Josh has also been nice to set us up with some good documentation and some good information for everyone to be able to look at. That will also be linked into the podcast description as well as on thehermanjames.com. So make sure to check that out. Josh, I want to thank you again for taking the time time to uh, come on here with me and enlighten me as well as all of our listeners. Uh, Is there anything else you want to add in?
2: Uh, Just that I encourage people to get involved with their communities, uh, network with people. Uh, There's something that everybody will be able to do, whether it's big or small. Uh, There is always something that you, the individual, are able to do, and it will certainly make an impact on people.
0: I couldn't agree more. Josh, thank you very much. Uh, And uh, hopefully we can have you back on soon hearing about your uh, next trip back from Tijuana.
2: Absolutely. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. There is more hate in the everyday lives of people and blatant out in the world more today than ever before in our lifetime. We are living in an era where people are allowed to be blatantly racist and bigoted and hate people just because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They hate Mexican people because they're taking all the jobs. Look what happened when Trump tried to stop immigration. Look what happened to those jobs everyone wanted to have. No one wanted those jobs. No one is willing to be out in a field and do farming. For $10 an hour or less with no benefits, these people have chosen to come to the United States like everybody else's fucking country did when their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents migrated to make a better life for themselves and their children they did odd jobs no one else wanted why because that was what the opportunity was the land of opportunity you have the ability to go and work and do things others don't want to do and now you're saying oh you're taking the jobs away from people that are going to want to have the jobs. Fuck you. We have a country dependent upon welfare and prescription drugs and living off the government because it is a deep-seated fucking stupid program that their family has been on for decades. They've never tried to get past it, get out of it, or push forward. You have a group of people that come into this country who are working voluntarily, voluntarily. They are coming in. They are busting their ass before the sun rises until the sun is down. They are making a life for themselves and their family. Yeah, they're probably sleeping four, five, six, or seven people to a two or three bedroom apartment and sending money back to their country because there's no opportunity to be paid like they are here and what we consider shit wages, they are clamming for. That's all they want to do. And then you want to bitch. Oh, they come over and get free health care. Really? Free healthcare? They're working without getting any benefits. They have no insurance if they get hurt. So they come over and use what our government's already put aside. They don't use extra money for this. Our government already has a large amount of cash set aside for tourists and immigrants, people that come into the country to visit and to work. That's what they have engines for. And fuck everyone that says, oh, they come over and get free health care, free education, free vehicles. Fuck you. Look at the people in this country who live here legally, that have been living off the system, who have been milking it fucking bone dry. Why aren't you mad at them? Why aren't you raising some hell about those fucks who teach their children how to milk the fucking system? Don't get a job. Why get a job? squeeze out another fucking baby the government will pay you paycheck babies these people aren't doing that they're coming to this country they are working their asses off they're starting businesses they're giving back to the community more than the fucks who are sitting on the goddamn couch and collecting a fucking government paycheck every month why is there a fucking huge protest about that Why? Because you don't care. That's where your tax money is going. To those people. We pay for that shit. The people who live at home. Who everyone bitches about when you're behind them in a line. Trading their food stamps for a fucking mickey's hand grenade 40 or trying to get cigarettes or candy that's not on food stamps trading their wick and hud certificates for shit they can't get the people that are fucking 300 pounds that don't have a fucking job but live on welfare and live off of our government those are the people that are hurting the system not the ones that are coming from mexico across the border that are doing the right thing and working and fuck you people that want to say trump's right about these guys are bringing illegal fucking drugs and guns and wars. M13 was fucking born here. In this country. Not outside of MS13. Excuse me. And they were fucking born and bred in this country. That gang started here and spread elsewhere. It didn't come into here from outside. It started in Southern California. Look it up. So now you want to be talking about oh Drugs, they're bringing illegal drugs. This country is hooked on prescription medication. Prescription medication that Big Pharma has pushed on everyone that the government has allowed because they're a major lobbyist. But we've got people fucking locked up doing a life sentence because they sold a dime bag in the park. Yet Big Pharma is making billions off of us. Because a country's hooked on fucking Norcos, Percocets, Valium, fucking Vicodin. They've got Oxycontin that is synthetic fucking heroin. But we're mad that these guys are bringing over some pot. You want to talk about how drugs are getting here? Oh shit, these guys have figured out how to bring a shit ton of cocaine, heroin, black heroin into Colorado, Texas, California. Really? you don't think the government doesn't know this and is looking the other way how the fuck did El Chapo get out of his fucking prison cell the government is allowing this they're allowing this and then you let the fucking orange in the oval office tell you who to hate and why to hate them they are doing a fucking thing to you There's not one Mexican immigrant, one South American immigrant that's coming to this country taking a job that you want. Not one of the fucking Californians, not one of these fucking people in the United States wants to stand on their feet for 16 hours getting paid lower than minimum wage and get nothing. You know what happens when people do that? They worked at McDonald's. They wanted benefits and more. I can't even get the goddamn cheese on my burger at fucking McDonald's because they can't seem to figure it out. But now because they want to see how much more they can make and get out of everyone, we pay them $15 an hour and get benefits. No, we don't. We put a fucking machine in their place because the machine is more efficient and works better. Mexicans and South American immigrants aren't hurting the country. We're hurting the country by being a bunch of fucking bigoted, racist pieces of shit open your eyes see what's really out there and welcome the people that make this country great because it's been great the entire time looks like that's all the time i've got for this episode i want to thank everyone for tuning in thank everyone for sharing Keep doing the comments on social media. I love reading the reviews you guys leave me on iTunes. I'll get around to reading them on the show as well and tag those who are leaving them for us. Make sure you check out NorCalResist. They are at NorCalResist.org. They're also going to be on Twitter at NorResist or on Instagram at NorCal. Underscore Resist. Thank you, Josh, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Enlightening me about things I didn't know was going on with this whole self-made epidemic. Make sure you check out Josh NorCal Resist. All of the links are going to be in this podcast description as well as on our social media. Make sure to tune in. Make sure to comment and interact whether you like it or not. Let's have fun. Can't wait to be in your ears next time.